0: If you're a writer, there are few things better than to combine your passion for storytelling with something else that you truly love. For Micah Burhardt, climbing has long been the subject of her many articles in adventure magazines. A certified rock climbing instructor and a member of the American Mountain Guides Association, Burhardt blends her love of the outdoors with vivid descriptions of landscapes and literary portraits of the many interesting people she encounters. It was on a trip to Africa a few years ago that she discovered a unique opportunity to add one more passion to the mix. On a journey to explore the industry and culture of Ethiopian coffee. Burhardt found that when you least expect it, you can find adventure in the most unlikely places.
1: Well, interestingly enough, I saw a lot of crumbly basalt on that first trip, but I realized that there was so much potential in Ethiopia that was really unknown to the rest of the world, mainly because we all associate with the drought, famine, and more, and instead I'm in this bucolic countryside searching for wild coffee. And I looked at these basalt faces and I thought, okay, there's gotta be more because just the topography is amazing. You have things from the third highest peak in Africa all the way to one of the lowest points on earth. So there's gotta be climbing.
0: So Burhart put together a team of her best climbing buddies, all of them women, and one photographer, a guy by the name of Gabriel Gell, and headed back to Africa to climb a few first ascents on mountain spires in the cradle of one of our most ancient civilizations, Her book, Vertical Ethiopia, tells the story in words and pictures behind this expedition to explore a world of new possibilities. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project.
1: When I went to Ethiopia the first time, and I I said before that I always used to think of Ethiopia as drought and bony elbows, and that was so consistent in ideology of everyone that I talked to and in myself and coming face to face with that and seeing what else it had to offer. I was really interested in probing at that and doing that through climbing. And, you know, there are not that many places that you get to go where you have completely unexplored areas to do first ascents like that. You might be able to go to a different region of China. You might be able to go to a new valley in Patagonia, but to go to Ethiopia that's not on the radar screen at all, that was really tempting and to say, you know, what does, how to make adventure additive, how does going climbing there then Turn into education to myself and the rest of the world about what Ethiopia is beyond a region of communism and drought.
0: There are a lot of stories about the people mm-hmm. in Ethiopia, and, and frankly, I think that was even more compelling than the the stories about climbing. Tell me about some of the people that you met there.
1: Having lived there for a big chunk of my winter last year, I was really intimately a lot involved with a lot of Ethiopian people, and you know, then also working with its Ethiopian publisher, I had this ongoing relationship and. So we were four women, and our average age was 33 years old, and most of the women that we met who are our age in northern Ethiopia were grandmothers. So that's a pretty striking thing to run into. You know, you have girls getting married at 13 and having babies at 13 and a half or 14 years old. But there's this generosity of spirit in Ethiopia that comes because it's the only country in Africa that was never colonized, and that's so much more than a fun fact. It translates into everyday interactions, especially with foreigners, because there's a sense of, here, please come into our land, come into our homes, everything is, you're just constantly welcome. There's no trepidation there. And, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, you know, from the moment you start going to school in Ethiopia to when, you know, let's say you're 60 years old and you work in the government, you know that Ethiopia has had a bad rap in Western press. So people were so interested in showing us the different side. And it was great to be over there and to be the recipients of all that warmth.
0: And also, it seemed like you you attract the attention of a lot of children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was it like interacting with young people in Ethiopia? It was
1: great. There was so much curiosity and drive, and these kids would come up, and they you know, moment school was out, they'd run up to where we were climbing. Because the thing about climbing in Ethiopia is you're not climbing in some random remote place. I mean, you were right above you know people's homes or villages, so they can see you, and we look like absurd caricatures on rock up there, and they're saying, well, what the heck? And they run up and check you out, and it was really it was it was great. It was you know at times it was difficult when things were stressful and not being able to get away from people I mean Americans have such a different perception of personal space mainly we have it and in Ethiopia they don't right so there's there's no hesitation for kids there to be holding on to your arms and your legs as you're walking but we're really used to having so much kind of like this bubble around us and that was really not possible when we were there. (laughs)
0: Wow. And also little girls Mm -hmm. seem Mm -hmm. to have been interested in watching women climb. What was that like?
1: It was pretty amazing because when we first started climbing there was definitely the boys were out and then once word got around that we were doing it all these girls started showing up and it was great to sort of see their Kind of feistiness with their brothers and with their cousins, and sort of saying no. And you could tell that it was look these are these are women who are climbing, so therefore I have every right to be here. And there was this way that we granted them that and being there, which was which was pretty fascinating, you know. And a very different, you know, for like I said before, I mean instead of women our age being grandchildren, they're, say, they're seeing women our age climbing. And the thing about that I think that's unique about climbing and what acts, made us be able to access people differently is that we were dirty, right? I mean, we were out there, we're hiking, we are you know, getting, going through every prickly possible thing, all these terraces, and we're, you know, we're not taking photos from the back of a land cruiser. We're out there really intimately interacting with the landscape, which is how you know, people in Northern Ethiopia, in Tigray, that's how they live. So it was this way that we could really communicate.
0: At at one point, while you were climbing, a little boy got into your your pack Mm -hmm. and stole some of your personal belongings, a camera, some sunglasses, and they found this kid. Tell me a little bit about what happened when you went to go claim your stuff at the police station.
1: Well, it was interesting because I saw the kid taking the stuff out of our packs, and we were about 300 feet up this Face. And I was sort of watching him and he was laughing at me because he was saying, look, we, we took you four hours to get to where you are. There's nothing you can do about it. And we had radios and we called the uh, man named Teddy, who was our local guide and translator. And the thing that you have to understand is that I had a permit to do weird things on rock faces. I mean, literally that's what it said in Amarik and to travel around Northern Ethiopia because of this Ethiopian publisher. So the thought that something had happened to me as a journalist from America to get robbed, I mean, the whole town was in uproar. So they found all these kids. And all of a sudden I come back from a day of climbing and I walk by about 12 kids who've been put in jail. And I'm thinking, I've put African children in jail. I mean, this is like, you know, all of a sudden you're thinking it's it's a pair of sunglasses. This is not a big deal. And then what proceeded to happen was I spent about nine hours over the next three days now Navigating the court system. And so the same thing that's a jailhouse is the magistrate's office, is a judge's chambers, and everyone else went climbing. And I, you know, like I showed up every day and kind of dealt with all the situation but it was what was fascinating about it was that they found our stuff and that they showed it to us and then every day they'd sort of show it to us and then take it back and say, well we need it for evidence and you know and then we're wondering as a group of foreigners what right we have to get involved in the way that this whole transaction is going to you know what their end result is going to be. And ultimately it's not of it's it's not up to us, right? I mean it's really completely in the hands of the community. And it brought up some really interesting conversations every night about you know what's just punishment, what is you know what what is your responsibility as a foreigner traveling someone's land to uphold the practices of that land or to intervene and these kids what happened they're you know young boys they were forced to stay in jail for three nights and we're talking it's the end of March it's big preparation time for the huge growing season the one growing season in this region and they were kept away from their homes for three days and that's a big penalty when you think that these kids are some of the you know biggest workforces on the land that they're getting ready for the barley harvest.
0: I wasn't 100% sure from the book what happened to this little boy. Did he, was he released finally? Yeah, yeah,
1: they were, yeah, all of them were released. And then we ended up really relating with all these families and with the town and all the different officials. And it was great. I always tell people, you know, getting robbed in Ethiopia shows you this different side of the community. And it really did for me, and it, it gave me this portal that I wouldn't trade for the world and to have gone through that from a journalistic perspective as well.
0: You also had the opportunity to visit several places of worship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was interesting that the priests, if that's what mm-hmm. one would call mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. there, actually did a little climbing of their own to get to their sacred places. Yeah. What was that like?
1: Well, what's interesting is that, you know, in general in Ethiopia, I always say, you know, people don't go to Ethiopia to go climbing. thats I mean, it's not on the world of expeditions or exploration right now. And, you know, during the golden era of that, let's say from the 50s through the 80s in the rest of the world, Ethiopia was really closed off. So people don't see it as a destination in that regard. So there isn't a familiarity with it. When I lived in Addis and I would tell people I was going climbing, they would have no idea what I was talking about. But when you're up in the north, they understand a little bit about climbing because they have to climb to go to church. And since 800 AD, they've had these, you know, somewhat vertical sandstone faces. And so, you know, they have holds that have been worn in for, you know, since that time. And it's pretty easy from a climbing perspective. I mean, it's maybe 5'1 or so. But when you think of the average tourist going up there or just the average person, you think, okay, this is pretty full on. And that appreciation for the vertical was really great because it, it, it made people understand a bit more of what we were doing, right? It wasn't as absurd. And the reward when you get to climb to this one church abunyamada which is sort of one of the most well preserved is there are frescoes in there that go back to the 13th century that depict the nine apostles coming to ethiopia and they're deep in this sandstone cave and it's cool in there and just vibrant with color and ancient texts and uh, you know i mean you just the history is so thick in ethiopia i mean it's It's considered to be the birthplace of humanity, right? I mean, it's where Lucy comes from. It's where the Queen of Sheba, the Ark of the Covenant, all of these things. And you feel that when you're in northern Ethiopia.
0: So how is the climbing? I mean, is it everything that you thought it was going to be?
1: I didn't think it was going to, I tried really hard not to have expectations. Um, And part of it's because I knew we were going into sandstone. I knew that, you know, sandstone is not exactly known for being solid. And I thought, let's just go see what we can do. I mean, I had a really, I had a small goal. I wanted to do two first ascents. And I thought, okay, that's just, you know, three weeks, two first ascents. Let's see if we can do it. The climbing, there's brief sections of amazing and solid climbing, followed by lots of sections of just scary, loose soft sandstone. And, you know, I cannot say definitively climbing is like this in Ethiopia. I can tell you what I climbed. I can tell you that, you know, there's a lot of possibility for more, but you have to be willing to endure a lot of scouting and a lot of really suspect terrain to get to what's really good. So, you know, we found several 80 to 90 foot sections of perfection. And then, you know, what came in before and afterwards was a different story.
0: All right. Well, is there anything in particular that you want people to know about your experience about this place?
1: I would say, what's interesting to me now because I'm a year away from when I was there, and I have spent the past three months on tour, and I've gone to places from South Beach, Miami, to Seattle, to you know Greenwich, Connecticut, and I've spoken about not really not just the book, but the process of the book, and. Really probing at that line of what do we expect a country to be like and then what do we find it to be like in reality and how do you then, you know, translate that into responsible, responsibility and humanity and that's been such a fascinating process for me and I, I'm not a scholar about Ethiopian history. I'm, you know, I'm not 70 years old with 30 years under my belt of being there but, you know, by approaching it from from the perspective of being an adventurer and a traveler and really opening my exploration up to other people, it's been amazing how many people have come forth with their own stories of that. And it's been, um, it sort of enabled me to see how these two parts of my life, which are climbing and writing and culture, have, you know, that all these things have come together, which is, I feel pretty lucky.
0: Vertical Ethiopia is published by Shama Books and is available wherever fine photo journals are sold. You can learn more about climbing opportunities in Ethiopia and Burhardt's adventures in writing online at maikaburhart.com. There you'll also discover information about her latest project, a film on climbing in Africa called Waypoint, Namibia. It's on sale now, so check it out. For The Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. New music this week from the band Kumbula. Special thanks to our sponsors, Recreational Equipment Incorporated, REI, and Patagonia. We don't take money from just anyone. Sponsors of the Joy Trip Project support our mission of an active lifestyle through outdoor recreation and community involvement. Support us by supporting them. Find links to their websites on ours at joytripproject.com. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by posting a link to it on your Facebook page or send it as a tweet to your followers on Twitter. Social media is a vibrant exchange of ideas. Join the conversation by becoming engaged. Post your comments to the Joy Trip Project blog or send an email to info at joytripproject.com share your stories share your passion for outdoor recreation environmental conservation acts of charitable giving and practices of sustainable living and you just might inspire our next joy trip together but most of all don't forget to tell your friends until next time take care